One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board certified physicians who can prescribe FDA approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. This podcast is a Royfield Brown production. Find others on iTunes. All right. Yeah, I know. Ladies and gentlemen, please remain standing for the singing of our national anthem. Britain is just a small island that no one pays attention to. A former colony won the right to determine its own destiny. Mid-Atlantic is part of the Agora Podcast Network and each month we have a podcast of the month for your podcasting ears. This month it's The Cannonball, which is a podcast which attempts to read all the books of Harold Bloom's list of the books which are part of the Western canon. So if you want to learn about the most important books which have helped to create Western culture and are important in marking its growth in uh, literature, we recommend that you go over to the Cannonball podcast. You can find it on a podcatcher of your choice. On a personal note, if you're a member of my 10 American Presidents Facebook group, you will know that I once mentioned uh, the idea of migrating to America. Now, it has to be said, with everything which has been happening in America in the last 12 months, friends, family and loved ones are questioning why now of all times as a black Brit I would even want to travel to America let alone live there and um, as this show demonstrates Charlotte's bill scares me however the answer is simple I love the idea of America not what America is but what America can eventually become I'm an idealist and this is a land of dreams and if you know me I think you'll realize that I'm not interested in the quintessential American ideal the uh, fact that you know you can make it rich if you go to America for me it's it's the dream of civic engagement the fact that it is a republic it's the beauty of the land and the people that really have won my heart in the last three years with me traveling back and forward to California I now class San Francisco and the Bay Area really as my home I've put down real roots there and as I said before I love the people the energy and the food, well, you know, I, I could go on. But last Friday, I visited the American Embassy in London and was granted a one-year visa, which will help me to complete my podcast series 10, American Presidents. So I will be reporting from and bearing witness to the resistance to Donald Trump from American soil for the next year. I will produce more special mid-Atlantic shows as I travel around America speaking to ordinary Americans about the events of the day. So expect Mid-Atlantic's optimistic tone to continue. But I urge you, whether you class yourself as a progressive or a conservative, to stand up for decency, fairness and to listen to the dispossessed. Not just to those with power, wealth and influence. 
Please don't listen to these shows and nod in agreement. Do something meaningful. Speak to that Trump-supporting uncle. Petition your congressman. Get involved in local politics. And together, let's fight this regime from top to bottom and from left and right. Now, on with the show. Hello and welcome to Mid-Atlantic, the show where we look at the news and the views from one side of the Atlantic from the perspective of the other. Or at least normally that's what we do. I am Royfield Brown in Birmingham. Today we are joined by part-time Buddhist and Democratic Party apparatchik Reggie Hubbard in Washington DC and we are also joined by wine expert and the ex-director of communications at Columbia University Doug Levy in San Francisco. Say hello gentlemen. Hello. hello. It's good to be here. This has been somewhat of a tumultuous week in American politics, which has had ripples and reverberations all around the world. It's a week that has seen white supremacist murder a peaceful protester in Charlottesville. So we ask, is this the end for President Trump? Jews will not replace us! Jews will not replace us! It was a weekend of street battles and stark displays of racism, exploding into a deadly act of domestic terror. Hate no longer hides behind hoods. Hundreds of white nationalists from across the country descended upon the University of Virginia's campus ahead of a planned demonstration to protest the removal of the statue of Confederate General Robert E. Lee. A white nationalist group preparing for today's Unite the Right demonstration, thought to be the largest gathering of white supremacists in the U.S. in decades, according to the Southern Poverty Law Center. We're here to stand for Robert E. Lee because they're removing the Robert E. Lee statue. We're here to say that we're here to defend our heritage. Shame on you! On the other side... No hate, no fear. White supremacists are not welcome here. The white nationalist protesters... Why bring weapons if this was a peaceful protest? Not because we were afraid the police might not They ripped my flag off, tried to grab it. Then, that terrible moment. When the driver of this gray Dodge mows down a group of marchers who were protesting the rally, he rams into one group, then puts his car in reverse and accelerates, running over several more before fleeing the scene. Car just plowed through hundreds of people downtown Charlottesville. The driver is identified as 20-year-old James Alex Field from Maumee, Ohio. 19 people were injured. 32-year-old Heather Heyer was killed. We condemn in the strongest possible terms this egregious display of hatred, bigotry, and violence on many sides. On many sides. President Trump just weighed in on today's violence in Virginia, tweeting this, quote, We all must be united and condemn all that hate stands for. There is no place for this kind of violence in America. Let's come together as one. But that tweet it came after his name was invoked by white supremacists. This represents a turning point for the people of this country. We are determined to take our country back. We're going to fulfill the promises of Donald Trump. That's what we believed in. That's why we voted for Donald Trump, because he said he's going to take our country back. And that's what we got to do. Pathetic, isn't it? Just pathetic listening to this. President Trump needs to listen to the people before he takes this presidency in a place that is not acceptable 
for our country. These groups seem to believe they have a friend in Donald Trump in the White House. I don't know why they believe that, but they don't see me as a friend in the Senate. And I would urge the president to dissuade these groups that he's their friend. When you say the alt-right, define alt-right to me. You define it. Go ahead. Well, I'm saying, no, Senator, define it for me. Come on, let's go. Define Senator it. McCain defined them as the same group. Okay, what about the alt-left that came charging him? Excuse me. What about the alt-left that came charging at the, as you say, the alt-right? Do they have any semblance of guilt? This is Let me ask you this. What about the fact they came charging, that they came charging with clubs in their hands, swinging clubs? Do they have any problem? I think they do. So, you know, as far as I'm concerned, that was a horrible, horrible day. Wait a minute. I'm not finished. I'm not finished, fake news. That was a horrible day. I will tell you something. I watched those very closely, much more closely than you people watched it. And you have, uh, you, you had a group on one side that was bad, and you had a group on the other side that was also very violent. And nobody wants to say that, but I'll say it right now. You had a group on the other side that came charging in without a permit, and they were very, very violent. Go ahead. Do you think that the, what you call the alt-left is the same as neo-Nazis? All of those people, excuse me, I've condemned neo-Nazis. I've condemned many different groups, but not all of those people were neo-Nazis, believe me. Not all of those people were white supremacists by any stretch. Those people were also there because they wanted to protest the taking down of a statue, Robert E. Lee. So, excuse me, and you take a look at some of the groups and you see, and you know it if you were honest reporters, which in many cases you're not, but many of those people were there to protest the taking down of the statue of Robert E. Lee. So, this week it's Robert E. Lee. I wonder, is it George Washington next week? And is it Thomas Jefferson the week after? You really do have to ask yourself, where does it stop? I'm not putting anybody on a moral plane. What I'm saying is this. You had a group on one side and you had a group on the other, and they came at each other with clubs, and it was vicious, and it was horrible, and it was a horrible thing to watch. But there is another side. There was a group on this side, you can call them the left, you've just called them the left, that came violently attacking the other group. So you can say what you want, but that's the way it is. On both sides, sir, you said there was hatred, there was violence on both sides. Uh, yes, I think there's blame on both sides. You look at, and I have no doubt about it, and you don't have any doubt about it either. And if you reported it accurately, and you had some very bad people in that group, but you also had people that were very fine people on both sides. You had people in that group, excuse me, excuse me, I saw the same pictures as you did. You had people in that group that were there to protest the taking down of, to them, a very, very important statue and the renaming of a park from Robert E. Lee to another name. George Washington was a slave owner. Was George Washington a slave owner? So will George Washington now lose his status? Are we going to take down, excuse me, are we going to take down, are we going to take down statues to George Washington? How about Thomas Jefferson? What do you think of Thomas Jefferson? You like him? Okay, good. Are we going to take down the statue? Because he was a major slave owner. Now we're going to take down his statue. So you know what? It's fine. You're changing history. You're changing culture. Wow. That was something else. Uh, President Trump, uh, amid the backlash over his conflicting tweets and statements.
Quite simply, Doug Levy, is Trump a racist? I think we've known that for 30 years. But why is it that this man could have been elected president of the United States? If we've known because it... Because a majority of people were okay with that. And th that's fundamentally what happened. I mean, those of us that have been in New York or have had any real attention to news about him over the years knew that you know he, he, he rose to fame trying to railroad the, uh, the young boys uh, who became known as the Central Park Five, uh, who wound up being cleared of the horrible attack that they were accused of, while Trump was taking out newspaper ads calling for the death penalty without even the trial having happened. And that was, that was long ago. And his actions over but the years have been surely pretty though, consistent. Surely, though, Doug, that can't be the truth because Donald Trump always waits until he has full facts before he um, actually comments on a situation. Isn't that true, Reggie? He doesn't like to speak off the cuff. He always likes to be in full receipt of all information before he makes a decision. Well, being somewhat coy, his cuffs are tailored and his facts are alternative, as, as demonstrated through the first communiques from the beginnings of the administration. Um, you know, and I'm actually not in D.C. I'm in Portsmouth, Ohio, which is uh, Yale County, Ohio. I'm here. It's the hard. It's the hardest Trump country. It's Skiddo County. Um, we're doing a rally with Bernie Sanders on Tuesday, essentially doing a check-in, being like, okay. So in Trump country, are your needs being addressed? So um, I'm, I'm back on my, my political grind again in the heart of Trump country, literally. Um, is he a racist? I mean, I, I, I mean, I think that's a that's an overly simplistic term. I, mean, I think that um, I've said they... people quite often. Are, are racists on a spectrum then? Are you saying that racists are on a spectrum? It starts off with a mild bit of prejudice and it ends up in the KKK. And then he's somewhere in between. Exactly. Is that what you're saying? You know, it's very easy to be upset at someone who is a member of the Ku Klux Klan. Um, but the American society that a lot of people benefit from is predicated on hundreds of years of racial uh, degradation of people who are Native American, uh, Asian American, Black, uh, Hispanic American. So the society that we enjoy in some form or fashion is predicated on hundreds of years of racial subjugation. Like that, that is writ large. And so, to some extent, everyone in America who who is not um, a minority benefits from white privilege, right? So that is the baseline. Um, that doesn't say that all those who benefit from white privilege, privilege are racist, but there is a skewing of favorability of certain conditions of existence that exist because of the color of your skin in the United States of America. Having said that, um, not every person who voted for Donald Trump is a racist. Uh, he did during his campaign like foment latent racist tendencies in the United States, but... I, I mean, saying calling him a racist to me is far too simplistic to articulate the problems that we're seeing right now. I completely agree, Reggie, that it's too simplistic to say that Donald Trump is just a racist. Uh, for a start off, his his son-in-law is Jewish. So how does how do you square that, Doug? Please explain to me. You're Jewish. His son-in-law is Jewish. I think his daughter. Ivanka has converted to Judaism. Um, how can this man be so nakedly blind, so obviously blind to 
to people who are other. Because I think that's what Donald Trump sees. Anybody who's an American who isn't a wasp, he sees them as somewhat other, doesn't he? So please explain to me. Go. I, I think that's exactly right. And in fact, I think as Reggie said, you know, there is a difference between the KKK racism and the institutional racism that the people who have the white privilege have no interest in changing. So, for example, you know, here in California, I have neighbors who I consider to be racist because they absolutely treat people who look different from them differently, and that's not okay. As for the Jewish part, you know, just like Sheldon Adelson was Trump's biggest backer, uh, you know, he's a one-issue voter and was willing to put aside all the other things. Um, you know, not all Jews agree on anything, and I think that's what we're seeing. Now, personally, I'm disappointed that more Jews have not been standing up because that, that march on Friday was entirely organized around anti-Jewish hatred. And the fact that we're even debating whether that's okay is astounding. Yeah. Is there actually a debate in America as to whether to counter-protest that is okay? Because I actually haven't heard that other than Donald Trump basically say, you know, there was good and bad on both sides. I Even Ted Cruz has come out and said, no, no, one <laughs> side was right, the other side was wrong. So there is no debate, is there, Doug? Surely. Absolutely. No, there is. That's the part that is so disturbing. If you read any of the uh, postings or even talk to Trump voters uh, outside of the liberal bubble, um, that's what I'm hearing. Okay. And there's right. an awful that, lot of people like that. That is, that is a very good point. So, Reggie, you're sat in Trump country What's the temperature of yeah. Trump country right now? Um, there are glaring, I mean, and, and this is part of the, the larger issue for all parties, uh, Democratic, Republican, and Independent, going into 2018, the midterm elections, is that there has been, especially where I am now, NAFTA and the economic dislocation uh, of that policy created a downward spiral uh, for white working class people that created a, a seemingly psychological narrative in their head that if these others do better than me, it's being taken away from me. So, you know, it's easy to say it's just about jobs, but it is just about jobs, but in the context of while white working class people who were able to, without a college education for the greater part of the 20th century, um, ascend to meteoric levels of, of comfortability in, in, in the American social order, when that started deteriorating and other things started happening like school integration or uh, a black president, um, people who had been economically dislocated for years saw the ascension of people who had been subjugated for years as it being taken away from them. So that, that, that nuance is what's missing in the larger discussion. So well, I'm not terribly surprised that people are even questioning whether or not the um, counter-protests were bad either because there's just such a cognitive dissonance around what's right and what's wrong. So if people are in such deep pain economically and, soci- and, so- and sociologically, there's a distortion there about what, what's right and what's wrong in some ways. And I, I think you're seeing that. Like if you don't have a job and haven't had a job for years, um, it's, 
it's less likely if, if it's all about survival for you. The other thing that, that um, I was talking when I was talking to someone here today, um, the opioid epidemic um, is huge here. Part of that because of the economic dislocation. So it's a loss of economic opportunity, a loss of hope, and that spirals into a lot of negative activity. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Doug, if white privilege is a real thing, and I'm not saying that it isn't, Shouldn't we then surely understand then that some white people do not want the symbols of that privilege then taken away? They do not want their Robert E. Lee statues to be taken away because, yeah, there's been white privilege. We have lauded it over Native Americans, African Americans, people of uh, brown skin uh, since the foundation of this country. And that's the way that we want to keep it so. So surely then you can understand this backlash in some sections of white American society. There's a way to understand it. The part that is hard for me to comprehend is that anybody who looks at what actually happened in Charlottesville saw a very dramatic demonstration that mimicked, I mean, it truly you know, lifted the same things that happened in Germany in the 1930s. And it, you know, it was a noisy protest organized with the intent of escalating violence. They, you know, the, the flyers for the protest or the, uh, the materials that were set to participants gave them instructions on what to do to escalate the violence. And then you have the president coming on TV on Tuesday talking about how there were very fine people marching with torches, chanting anti-Jewish slogans. And that's cognitive dissonance. That's, 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 it, it would be incomprehensible if there was anybody in the White House other than Donald Trump. Yeah. Reggie, has that press conference showed the president's real political soul? I mean, it could be argued... I mean, the short answer, I think, is yes, in that 
the soul, I don't think, is whether it's he's a racist or not. The soul is that he is untethered to any sort of discipline. Um, listen, as someone who is African-American with family from Virginia and, and family in Charlottesville, my cousin actually lives blocks away from where everything uh, went down. Um, this, this hits close to home. And so when his statement, even though it was two days late, um, um, saying, you know, this is, a, this is unspeakable, blah, blah, blah. Even I was like, look, you know, yeah, it's two days late, but that's what the president's supposed to say. Okay. So you may not even believe what you're saying, sir, but you said that. So thank you. You know, I, I was willing to give him that benefit of the doubt. I was like, I know he's reading from a teleprompter or whatever, but thank you, Mr. President, for saying that. So for a for immediately thereafter, this press conference to come shows me the true soul of someone who is undisciplined, uh, tethered to his own rendering of the facts, and just unrepentant in any sort of uh, ability to say, I'm sorry. And he's perfectly fine with the fact that Richard Spencer and David Duke cheered him while... Um, Even leaders yeah. of his party said that's not okay. It's not often that I agree with Mitch McConnell. Uh-huh. If we have a president who is being cheered on by by neo Nazis, let's not even call them neo Nazis, by Nazis. If we have a president who is being cheered on by people who who give in um, Nazi style salutes, uh, parading the swastika down. Um, the avenue of an American city. How can these be American patriots? That, that, that's the first thing. But then if we have a president that is so detached from any level of empathy, where does that leave his presidency? Uh, why don't you answer that there, Doug? I think that's the question that none of us knows the answer to, and I wish we did because Let's we fundamentally we're, we're, we're pundits. Let's wildly speculate, and let's just hope that the, our speculation is more informed than just nakedly wild. Go. Well, I'm cautiously optimistic that the Republican leadership of Congress is going to actually recognize how desperately important the president's role is, especially when bad things happen. And for the president that we have currently to be unable to make a clear, credible, calming comment when there is a domestic terrorist accident, accident, a domestic terrorist event, yet within minutes of the Barcelona incident, he's able to go on full force. Those two things are inconsistent. And we have to look to Congress to step up and either privately convince him to change his behavior, or if he refuses, I think we really do need to look at um, censure. And I think, I think censure is a possibility. If the president continues to misstate the facts about what happened in Charlottesville and to say things that give comfort to the violent people adopting the Nazi philosophy and Nazi tactics. That is not patriotic. So Congress has to step up and say, Mr. President, stop it. Okay. Um, Reggie, Doug has basically said that the president 
is important. I think uh, as being a student of American history and a student of your constitution, I am no expert, but I'm a, a student of it. Um, America has operated once or twice with a president who's been kind of incapacitated, maybe not one that has been so um, visible in his inability to do the job. So Woodrow Wilson retired for some time and there have been other presidents who have been mortally ill and uh, the machine of government just kind of grinds on. You know, you have this uh, balance of um, balance of powers. How important really is the president? And I say this because the Joint Chiefs of Staff and business leaders have, both have all distanced themselves from, from Trump. He doesn't have any moral leadership left, does he? already six months into his presidency he has no moral leadership so is he a lame duck president and can he just be ignored unfortunately um he cannot be ignored and um, because if only for symbolic reasons the chief executive of the federal government of the united states of america if only in a figurehead position as the bully pulpit and what he or she hopefully someday says matters what the president says matters even if it's way off base because you have the full force of the federal government behind you at least in conversation and in theory so if the president of the united states offers um comfort to people who harbor ideas that are steeped in anti-semitic and other racist ideology, then essentially that's the government signing off on that. So the presidency, if only in a symbolic way, has significance uh, far beyond that of any other branch of government. So people don't even know who Mitch McConnell is. Um, I do because I'm a geek and, and, and I live in the D.C. area and have been in this political world for quite some time. Um, theoretically, the judiciary, the legislative, and the executive branches are co-equal branches of government. The problem that we have in this moment is that the president has the bully pulpit, is all over the place, and the other co-equal branch of government that has the most uh, ability to censure or check him has been feckless and incompetent. Um, we'll see what happens in the next, uh, in the coming weeks. You know, I didn't one of the things that I predicted to one of my friends a while ago is I was like, this gentleman, President Trump, he has no self-control. So it'll be interesting to see how long Republicans take his antics until they realize that he's collateral damage to their reelection um, prospect in 2018. I never predicted that six months into the presidency, um, he would be at such a point where he has done so much damage to himself rhetorically and otherwise. Um, so it'll be interesting to see, especially because looking at a calendar, it's already mid-August. Um, there are elections in Virginia for the gubernatorial race in November and in New Jersey. Um, those are the top tier races uh, going into 2018. Um, I would venture to say that any affiliation with Donald Trump going into Virgin in the Virginia governor's race in November Mr. Gillespie, who's running on the Republican side, is going to have a challenge trying to distance himself from any affiliation with Donald Trump. Um, afterwards, so if Democrats win resoundingly in Virginia and New Jersey, it'll be interesting to watch the machinations um, from the larger apparatus in Washington because 
as someone who's been in the grassroots for quite some time, people are pissed. And this was before what happened. You know, people were pissed well in advance of the racial misstep that just happened. So it'll be interesting to see how much longer the Paul Ryans of the world um, and the Miss McConnell, the Jeff Flakes, um, people who are up for re-election, um, McConnell is safe, but Flake is actually quite vulnerable. Um, to see how long they they have been silent, thinking that this silence would allow them to pass a legislative agenda that they've been sitting on for eight years. They haven't passed anything, and all of them have squandered significant political capital. So... It'll be interesting to see how much more separation people have and what they do to distance themselves even further, realizing that any affiliation with him going into a very competitive reelection is tantamount to like political suicide. Doug, to me, Reggie paints somewhat of a, a bleak. It could be a very real picture, a very bleak picture, where you have the Republican Party that doesn't have the moral backbone to actually stand up. Yes, there are some individuals, no, notable senators, and uh, you know, noted mavericks like like Lindsey Graham, etc., who've actually called out the president by name. Aren't we looking at moral bankruptcy by the Republican Party if it can't actually name Donald Trump and actually say what you have said is wrong? Considering we all know that behind the scenes they are saying this. Why well, is we it? don't know that they're saying it forcefully enough, and that's fundamentally the problem. Just no, no, no. Oh, okay, let, let, let's be clear. They're saying it to each other, and they're saying it, saying it to journalists off the record, but they don't have the, the moral backbone, the compunction to say it publicly. Um, but I think Reggie's right that when, when they do the electoral calculus, then when they realize they're in deficit, then all of a sudden they will find this. Because, you know, there is, um, there is an example for this, isn't there? If you look at Nixon and Watergate, the Republicans were actually incredibly quiet all the way through all the unfolding scandals of Watergate. It was only at the very end, uh, you know, at the dying embers of that presidency, that they actually um, got, started to jump ship. I'm actually not sure I agree with that because Congress was very different in those days. I mean, you're correct that it wasn't until close to the end that the Republican leadership was on board with the idea of impeaching Nixon. But one of the reasons the Watergate investigation was as good as it was, was that there was no question between the Republicans and the Democrats who were in leadership positions at the time that something bad had happened and a full investigation had to be done. And that's mm -hmm. a big contrast with what's happening now. Uh, mm -hmm. Quite frankly, the moral bankruptcy that we've been attributing to the occupant of the Oval Office over his remarks or lack of remarks or lack of convincing mm -hmm. remarks this week applies also to the leadership of the uh, Republican Party and those who are well, in well that, other Republican offices. Well, well, that's really what I was saying in terms of moral, moral bankruptcy, because I think we're all agreed that, and let's just put it politely, there's something wrong with Donald Trump, um, spiritually, morally, ethically, and mentally. So let's just forget him for now. 
But I'm talking about those career politicians, you know, people like Paul Ryan. Whatever you want to say about Paul Ryan, whether you agree with his politics or not, he's a smart guy. And actually, I believe he's a decent human being. I just don't agree with his politics. And I, I think it's inconceivable that you could have um, a Democrat in the White House that would have a third of the amount of dirt and scandal that Trump has brought to the office in six months and somebody like Paul Ryan not be incandescent with rage. Here's the problem. We have seen so much enthusiastic support for the man in the White House that it's almost irrelevant what happens in Congress. Um, look at what's going to happen next week when uh, uh, he has another one of his campaign rallies in Phoenix. Um, word on the street is that he's going to pardon the sheriff who was con- convicted, I believe, twice. Uh, oh, yeah. yeah and, probably... you know, that is offensive to anybody who cares about civil rights. It is horrible timing given what happened in Charlottesville. But I guarantee you that is going to get the people who voted him into office fired up. And it doesn't matter what else happens. That's not going to matter. It is very scary. If I could take issue with that, when people of our ilk say that it doesn't matter, that brings out my activist side. Um, The first amendment to the Constitution is freedom of speech. So if this gentleman can say whatever he wants to, then it's of... It's, it's incumbent upon people who disagree with this gentleman and disagree with these policies to be of sober mind and be on the, on, the, on the grind to look at these elections coming up and be ruthlessly focused on getting these feckless, incompetent congresspeople out of office. So I, as someone who's been in this game off and on for 15 years, um, I don't really have much emotion in this anymore. I'm kind of a ruthless logistician. Um, does it make me upset what is happening? Yes, it makes me upset. But what makes me even more upset is the sense of hopelessness that people feel with respect to Trump and his supporters. Um, the gentleman only won because of low voter turnout. Um, and if people who are organizers, if people who are angry continue to say it's hopeless, then it is hopeless. But if they focus on talking to people, connecting the dots, and turning out this vote, and instead of like being angry um, writ large right now, turning that into a slow burn and being angry next November, then that and everything will change. And we all so, would win if there's a larger turnout. There's no question about that. The, the lack of turnout in the United States is our single biggest threat to democracy. As someone who's in the grassroots right now, the energy is there to turn this around. Um, that energy is dampened when people throw their hands up and be like, what can we do? There's, there's plenty to do. Um, the problem is that for, um, for the American appetite, which is very focused on like short-term gain, there's nothing that can be done really um, electorally until next year. But in the meantime, you register voters. You, you go to like, you find out which districts um, are vulnerable, um, like swing districts, the, the trend red, but are up for um, up for discussion in, in the upcoming election, and then you turn out that vote. And for these people, you know, you don't have to say anything in Congress um, because the people will vote you out. Like, that energy is there. 
Um, and it's just about taking that energy and channeling it towards the electoral result of next year. That is not impossible, um, but it's something that rhetorically that I'm going to challenge anytime I hear um, what can we do. What we can do is realize that in our electoral system in 13 months, we have an opportunity to kick these cowards out. Uh, Just to end up, gentlemen, I'm going to start with you and then you follow on, Reggie. None of us thought for a moment this man would ever be elected, but he got elected. I disagree. I thought thought it was possible. Oh, well, possibility. The fact you're in a two-horse race is a possibility. You you might win because the other horse might stumble at the fence, which is exactly what happened with Hillary Clinton. Right, but none of us, if we had to, nobody if they were going to bet and put money down where they said that Donald Trump was actually going to win. Possibly, but it wasn't that he was going to win. Starting with you, Doug, how did you see this first year of Donald Trump going? In your wildest dystopian dreams, how did you think the first year of his presidency would have gone? Not even just the first six months, the first year. Well, honestly, I... I, I agree with Reggie. I I saw a real possibility that Trump was going to win last summer. I mean, it, it if you actually were talking to people in the field, yeah, there was stuff happening that for whatever reason, a lot of yeah. people on both sides were ignoring. So and, and, and that's what happened. As far as what I thought would happen if he got elected, I uh, expected it to be uh, difficult, but I had some hope that he was going to bring in some good people around him. We've had suboptimal presidents before who have had really fabulous members of their cabinet, and mm-hmm. I thought that might happen here. And that's why the initial appointees were so alarming, because when you have a Secretary of Energy who didn't even understand what the department does, and that, that department is responsible yeah. for the nuclear weapons, that's scary. So what I thought the first year was going to be I think you're maligning be Ben Carson in housing. How dare you? Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, we could have oh, a contest man. to see which cabinet secretary is the least qualified, and that's a tough battle. Mm-hmm. But I thought, I thought the first year was going to be an assault on regulations. I thought there was going to be a very deliberate, and I actually thought it was going to be a planned out uh, tax reform push um, you know, to get tax reform through in order to actually change the tax code. If they did it quickly this year, it would take well into next year to actually go into effect and beyond that to have any impact. Um, that hasn't moved at all. So I thought there was going to be tax reform. I thought there was going to be an assault on regulations, although I didn't think it was going to be the the I mean, literally, they're just looking at anything that President Obama said yes to and flipping it around, never mind whether there's strategy behind it. And that, as somebody who's worked with a lot of government agencies over the years, when you have regulations that are just flipped off like a light switch, that causes all kinds of damage, not just to the legacy and long-term policy, but there's actually real impact to people every day. I'm standing right now in a medical research uh, campus, and you know there are grants here that the research is going to have to stop because somebody said we don't want to do that anymore. And those things are usually done five years in advance. 
Same question to you, Reginald Hubbard, sir. Um, I must admit, uh, as, as someone who was on the campaign trail from October 2015 through November 2016, I saw this coming. Um, and I remember telling my people, my friends, they're like, Reggie, you're just so negative. I was like, you're sitting at your house watching the stuff on TV. Like, I'm the one driving through Western Pennsylvania seeing Confederate flags and Trump tent signs. Like, I, like, for as far as the eye can see, looking at my gas gauge, like, oh, my God, if I run out of gas here, my black ass is done. So I'm the one that saw that. Um, but in the first year, I thought that with both houses of Congress um, and the jubilation of Trump supporters and the jubilation of, say, the McConnells and the Paul Ryans of the world who've been sitting on the sidelines for essentially seven years to enact their agenda, you know, similar to what Doug said, I thought there was going to be a systematic peeling back of the Affordable Care Act and certain um, aspects of policy that were key and instrumental to the Obama administration. I thought it was going to be a little bit more methodical. I thought that there was going to be a little bit more stability um, in the rollout of the administration to essentially undergird the legislative repeals that were going to happen. I didn't think that it was going to be, I, mean, I don't even, rem, I can't even remember, I, in full candor, I stopped paying attention uh, to the goings-on for per, high-level personnel because, you know, Scaramucci was in office for 11 days or in, in his job for 11 days, among other things. So I didn't think that it would be this uh, ridiculous in terms of the um, rapidity of people being fired. We sure didn't think that the Russia investigation was going to be like this. Uh, I thought that it was going to be a lot more orderly and a lot more terrifying, honestly. You know, because of the erratic nature of the implementation and the outright in the beginning of the administration when they were like, this is the largest inauguration ever, and people were like, uh, no, it's not. So when they went straight towards alternative facts, that kind of undercut whatever validity they could have had. Um, but I didn't think that it was going to be this destructive this quickly um, and this far-reaching. Gentlemen, thank you for joining us on in a, a momentous and turbulent week for all Americans. Thank you for joining us on Mid-Atlantic. Um, instead of doing our takeaways of the week at the end of the show, I just thought I'd play the words of Heather Mayer, the victim of the uh, terrorist killing in Charlottesville's Bay, the words of her mother this week. Take care. See you all again in a couple of weeks. Although Heather was a caring and compassionate person, so are a lot of you. A lot of you go that extra mile. And I think the reason that what happened to Heather has struck a chord is because we know that what she did is achievable. We don't all have to die. We don't all have to sacrifice our lives. They tried to kill my child to shut her up. Well, guess what? You just magnified her. No hate, no fear. White supremacists are not welcome here. No hate, no fear. White supremacists are not welcome here. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.